This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas, and uh, going to be chatting about Ivermectin, Tess Laurie, and uh, she's South African, <laughs> which is going to work very well with my audience, hello doc, uh, Dr. Tess Laurie. <laughs> where, where in South Africa are you from originally? Well, I moved around quite a lot. I was born in Durban, and I lived there for 17 years, and then I went to Vitz to study my medical degree. Um, and then um, I moved down to Cape Town. Uh, actually, I did a PhD at Vitz as well. And then I moved down to Cape Town and um, had, was there with my family. And I worked at Stellenbosch in Tigerberg Hospital for a bit um, and, uh, and had three kids. And, and then um, we moved to the UK in 2009. Well, I, so I established this company in 2013. And um, you can imagine for any doctor having who's clinically practicing, um, they don't have time to read the journal papers that come out every single day. I mean, there's there's hundreds of papers that get published um, weekly. There's so many journals, and it's very difficult for them to make sense of of um, current practice. You know, because med medical practice is changing all the time. Um, so. Um, what they do is they rely on on clinical practice guidelines. Yeah. So these are guidelines by the health regulatory bodies, like uh, or the uh, health authorities, like the World Health Organization. So those guidelines rely on what's called evidence synthesis, which is kind of um, making the it's like making the proof that underpins these clinical practice guidelines. So my company. Um, is engaged in doing that. So what we do is we do a literature search to search um, for all studies on a particular topic, and then we choose the studies that are of um, the highest quality. Um, so a lot of uh, clinical research is based on, I mean, clinical guidelines are, are based on randomized controlled trials, but not always. Um, so. We use we'll, we will evaluate all the randomized controlled trials. We'll assess them for risk of bias on a particular topic, for example, and then we'll um, we'll synthesize that. So um, we and and that involves and if it's meta analysis, which is another big word, meta analysis is just the pooling of data from different trials. But basically, for um, for any just say you want to look at ivermectin and its mm. um, if deaths compared with uh, not receiving ivermectin. Well, you can take the data from all the studies that have looked at that, have recorded those data, and you put them in the same analysis. Um, and so e you'll get each study listed with the data that they've contributed to the analysis, and then you get a summary total at the end, which shows you the, the overall effect um, of the of ivermectin on death. All right, so, so, so what you do is you kind of look at data, analyze it, and then presented in a way that's digestible yes yeah, so what would so we'll we'll have all the and and we also assess the certainty of each uh, of the evidence for each outcome so, and then we'll put it together in a, in a document um, and um, present it to uh, or either put it in what's called a systematic review so mm. we'll we'll a script and get it published somewhere as a systematic review or we'll um, put it in a a framework. Now, a framework is just a, a document that has 
different headings um, and and each heading has a uh, has is populated so uh, with a paragraph or two or three or pages or whatever with with evidence so um, for guideline frameworks or guideline development frameworks we usually look at the effect of an intervention so the effect of ivermectin and um, we will look at how people value the outcomes associated with ivermectin for example ivermectin reduces deaths so people will value that outcome that's quite an important outcome um, and we will look at um, the resources associated with it so is it how much does it cost is it mm. cost effective um, we will look at um, whether it's acceptable to people um, whether it's feasible and and also equity now equity is something that people don't really understand it's a funny word um, and what it means in relation to health is that you know is it a fair intervention is it something that uh, everybody can access easily is it you know mm. is it uh, does it uh, help the vulnerable uh, as much or more than the the privileged and so on so um, obviously sorry obviously the the uh, the cynical um, listeners will say okay that's all fine and well who who's funding you uh, do you have uh, political interests that kind of thing so my company um, is it's actually I've never really needed to advertise for work I've always done work for nonprofit organizations and I think um, maybe I'm too cheap but <laughs> But I never advertise, and um, and always have more work than I need. Um, the work that I've done on Ivermectin, I haven't actually. Um, uh, I didn't have funding for. I just did it off my back because uh, it looked interesting to me, and I thought, well, let me have a look at this. I never thought it would take this long to communicate the message to the authorities, um, because I thought I would just do it to give them a, a bit of help. Um, to get started to look at the evidence, so uh, it's taken a long time because um, because seem to think there isn't enough evidence, and it's taking time to communicate that message to them. What is ivermectin? Okay, well, ivermectin is a it's a medicine that's been used to treat parasitic infections for um, forty years. It was discovered by Professor uh, Satoshi Omura in the 1970s. Um, I think it was discovered on a golf course, actually. He was taking soil samples um, and looking for um, for new uh, drug potential in, um, in soil and bacteria and whatever. Anyway, he found this bacteria that had um, this uh, substance called, and they called it avermectin, and he reached out to um, a chap, um, I think it was his name, William Campbell, uh, in Ireland, who was working for Merck, and um, and um, so together they actually um, developed ivermectin, um, and um, and started using it for, and and it was discovered to be very uh, effective for onchocerciasis, which is a which is a worm infection common in the tropics. So um, Merck tried to make uh, make it make financial sense, but couldn't mm. because the people who needed the medicine were the poorest of the poor, and um, they couldn't get their basic three dollars a treatment or whatever out of it. So after thinking about how they could make a profit and realizing they couldn't, they donated this medicine um, 
to to humanity and gifted it and um and uh, it was a wonderfully uh humanitarian thing to do and um and I think they got a lot of kudos from that uh, they were always considered to be the the company with um with a sort of higher ethics than than uh, other pharmaceutical companies because the pharmaceutical industry doesn't have a good reputation in general so um yeah after that uh oh, so you were saying what is it so so subsequently it's been found it's been studied um uh, again looking at various viruses so um zika um dengue um uh, even flu viruses and, and hiv it's been looked at against various viruses and uh, it's found to to have activity against these viruses um and it's also found to have anti-inflammatory properties and there are also um there's also evidence that it might have anti-cancer properties so it's a, a, a very interesting medicine, and the more that it's studied, the more um, one realizes that it needs to be studied more. There need to be more yeah. trials. Why is it so controversial? Well, you know, it's a very cheap medicine. Um, the WHO looked at it in 2018 for um, scabies because it's an essential medicine on the WHO's mm. list medicines and in the scabies document they estimated its cost at three cents per tablet um, so um, three that's American cents so it's like three dollars for a hundred tablets and you could you maybe you'd use like two or three tablets a person so just say two tablets a person you're talking about like six cents for a whole treatment um, so it's unbelievably cheap and um, the the COVID pharmaceutical industry is worth a hundred billion dollars. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, you've got little ivermectin there standing, right. you know, standing up saying, hang on, you know, I can do it. I can do all of this. I can treat, I can prevent. Um, and, uh, and all the other options from the pharmaceutical industries uh, are much more expensive and, and right. less um, tested in terms of safety. So it's a big threat to the pharmaceutical industry. It's got nothing to do with money, Tess. Well, I think it has nothing to do with money. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, animals use the injection. Um, there's no injectable uh, uh, option for humans. Humans take an oral tablet, and um, it's it's 0.2 milligrams per kilo. It's basically the standard uh, similar dose to what you would use for scabies or worms or... Um, and um, there's different, you know, there's different um, re regimen for prevention or treatment. If you're using it for prevention in India, in some places they use it monthly, you know, for healthcare workers. So it's a pro um, prophylaxic. Yeah, as prophylaxis, mm. they they take it monthly. Um, whereas in the states, for example, um, the um, prophyla prophylactic regime regimen that's recommended by uh, Pierre Corey's group is is twice every two weeks. Um, so yeah, it, it seems to have a very broad therapeutic um, uh, range. So and it's very safe. So you know um, there are many many different protocols being used around the world. Uh, and um, and yeah, when I say uh, it's safe, 
I usually refer to the Vigi Access database, which is a WHO Apsala University collaboration. Um, and on that um, database, you can look up any medicine and you'll get um, uh, whoever, uh, however many registered deaths and registered adverse events. And, um, and ivermectin has probably about the lowest, um, the, the lowest uh, deaths and, and uh, adverse events of anything that's been going for so long. And yet the FDA hasn't approved it for COVID-19, or am I wrong? No, the FDA doesn't approve it, neither does the NIH, and there was a statement on Monday by the European Medicines Agency saying um, that um, it's not recommended, they recommend against it um, for, you know, for, um, there's, there's insufficient evidence and so on. So they're all, all the health authorities are saying the same thing, um, and uh, in fact they usually cite the same studies to defend their position as well. Um, and um, they they just not um, they're not looking at all the evidence. They usually cite um, instead of, uh, for example, citing our um, systematic review and meta-analysis, they'll cite a single JAMA study um, that was published um, about two weeks ago now um, that was done in in mild disease um, uh, in Colombia and yes. it showed. Uh, I saw that. So they'll and and that study had had a number of serious problems including yeah. conflict. They also changed but the they changed the end they they changed their um their goal the end goal I think if I got it correct. So they did they changed their um as you say their outcomes and so so um is but there's been a lot of um you know uh, there have been uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that paper in the press. Um, but but it is funny. I, actually, I even saw on um, on the commission, the parliamentary uh, commission in South Africa. I think it was the seventeenth of March. I saw that Professor Helen Reese cited that study too. So it <laughs> seems like the authorities are citing the same very poor study. Yes. Um, and so it does seem like something funny is going on. You know. <laughs> well, tell me about the science around. Ivermectin. We did a we did what's called a meta analysis right. of ivermectin versus control treatment, which could have been placebo or no treatment. <clears throat> and um, in and and we found twenty one randomized controlled trials. Okay, so when they say when the authorities say there's no evidence, there's twenty. Well, twenty one. There were twenty one randomized controlled trials when we did this meta analysis. There are many more now, mm. um, because. They're uh, there, there are at least forty trials ongoing, and um, and the data are coming in every week. So um, since we did it, there are at least four new trials that have published, and um, and I've included one of those trials, um, the JAMA study I referred to earlier. I've included that in our latest uh, analysis, and we are still extracting other studies. So. Um, so we found 20, 21 studies at that time, this is a month ago, um, and um, 18 of those were randomized controlled trials of treatment, and three were, ran were randomized controlled trials of prophylaxis prevention. So um, 18 studies had compared ivermectin with something else for um, treatment of COVID, and um, 
13 of those had looked at the primary outcome, which the outcome we were most concerned about, which was death. Okay. So some of those were in mild disease and they hadn't reported, they hadn't found any deaths, but, and others were in moderate or severe disease. And, um, and overall, there was a 2%. So there were, so out of all the studies that we have now in the analysis, there's 2,000, 2,200 or 300 people who've participated in these studies. Half of them received ivermectin and the other half didn't. Um, and there was a 2.2% uh, risk of death if you got ivermectin. And there was around an 8% risk of death if you didn't get ivermectin. Okay, so it reduced. Yeah, so it reduced it substantially. So what it meant was basically if you were in a hospital where there was nine deaths happening for every 100 people who were hospitalized, if they got ivermectin, Six of those deaths wouldn't happen, so you get three deaths out of a hundred instead of nine. As, sorry, as a treatment. So, in other words, during during the sickness. Yeah, as a treatment. So, if you look at the prophylaxis studies now, um, if you if you only look at the randomized controlled trials of prophylaxis, um, there's three currently, and um, and and seven hundred thirty eight people took part in these studies. And they were healthcare workers, or they were family members of people who had COVID. And in in um, in that analysis, we got around four percent. And I'm just speaking off the top of my head now because I haven't got my analyses in front of me. But about four percent um, got COVID in the ones that got ivermectin for prophylaxis, and about nearly thirty percent got got COVID if they were in the group that didn't get um, prophylaxis. Now. Um, the the authorities are saying that this evidence is very uncertain and is not um, is not good enough to recommend. Uh, but what you have to realize as well is that, and the studies get criticized for not being of good enough quality. Now, all of these studies were done in low and middle income countries, um, and they were done by doctors with no conflict. And many of them actually funded their own studies. Right. You know, so these studies, in my opinion, of are, are of good quality and arguably better quality than some of those studies done by pharmaceutical companies that actually hold the data themselves. They do their own data analysis and um, and then present the, their findings. And you know, they've obviously got medical writers and so on. So these doctors who are busy trying to treat their patients and in um, Egypt and um, India and so they're treating their patients plus they're doing the study plus they're writing it up as, so that they can inform the world of these findings uh, and and oftentimes English isn't even their first language they're getting no assistance to do so by the authorities that should be um, facilitating um, you know this very valuable information data that they're sharing and um, and then they're being told their studies are quality um, what I wanted to say about mm. Professor Schumann is he actually stopped it early because he could see the benefit that, that it was unethical to continue. He felt it was unethical because the, the people in the um, who weren't getting ivermectin were having a higher risk of infection and we were in a pandemic. So he, um, the people who didn't get ivermectin in his study, had, I'm, I'm off the top of my head, we had like, it was like 30% chance of, of um, getting COVID versus um, a 4% chance of, of not getting COVID. So 
So um, a 4% chance of getting COVID. So he stopped his study early. Now his study is penalized for, for being stopped early and, and is considered mm. uh, low certainty, so, or in low, low quality or high risk of bias, I should say, not low quality. So um, there's there's just a, a lack of of um, a lack of attention and and a proper evaluation by the authorities on uh, uh, around ivermectin and um, and it's costing lives and um, you know the fact that they can just come out with a statement that is not properly referenced um, and that they can then you know, um, point to one study that um, that uh, suggests that there's no difference when we all know it's meta-analysis, it's systematic reviews that underpin clinical practice guidelines. Not a single study, um, you know, or 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 um, or the, or you know, they all seem to point to this the same sort of mechanism of action. Um, there was one study done in Australia in, in March last year in, in monkey kidney cells, which suggested you needed very high doses to achieve to to, to clear the the virus, but also it managed to clear the virus completely within 48 hours. Um, but um, but the emphasis has always been, oh well, you have to have very high doses, so ivermectin can't possibly work because um, mm. you need doses to in humans that would be toxic which is absolute nonsense and um, because we know from clinical studies you just need the the ordinary dose basically that you give for scabies or worms and uh, and and it works so um you know this idea that and and as i say they keep cherry picking studies um to support their um lack of um uh action on ivermectin yeah, and, and not not just lack of action, but it appears that it's a lack of integrity and transparency. There's total lack of transparency. You just don't know what studies they're referring to. You know, you have to sort mm. of... I was asked to look at the Australian um, recommendations on ivermectin, and they don't present their forest plots. They just, um, you know, you can't see how they calculated what they calculate. Um, and, um, and, and what studies they've used. Mm. So... And it's the same with the EMA statement. They just—they don't even reference the studies within the text of the document. They just list them at the end, so you don't really know what they're referring to to substantiate their their claims that it's—you know—the argument that it can't be used. And if you look at, um, you know, if you just look at, like Pfizer, for example, mm. was now in the, um, saying that they've got a tablet that's going to be, that's that's. Um, you know, looking very promising and going to be released and can be used early stage of the disease by the end of the year. Now, um, there's a completely different approach to from the media as well in terms of what they're highlighting. I mean, have you ever heard the media saying a systematic review evaluated 21 randomized trials, you know? So now we have one study by a pharmaceutical company that's being done and probably won't even get published before the thing is authorized. And so there's been this double standards by the authorities where they've these emergency use authorizations for medicines which haven't even got a paper behind them um, and or, 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 or an independent evaluation um, or long-term safety data or medium-term mm. safety 
um, and these medicines are being um, are being given emergency use authorization, uh, and ivermectin is still sitting there and they're saying we need more evidence. You know, um, as you say, there is a double standard that's being applied. Mm. Uh, like we need something urgently, uh, and um, and they will urgently allow you know give emergency authorization to other medicines, but not ivermectin. Um, now, I, I think this is probably because in certain countries, and I'm not sure if it applies to South Africa or even the UK, but um, the emergency use authorization um, for many of the novel treatments are only applicable if there isn't a, an option, if there isn't a, a, another uh, treatment option. So if ivermectin is safe and effective as it is, um, then I think the emergency use authorizations of many of the novel treatments would then be in question and they would need to go through the normal regulatory process of actually proving first that the medicine is safe and effective and then having to apply for, um, for regulatory approval just like all of Yeah, but I mean every, everything, everything that is considered good science seems to have been suspended. Um, that many doctors have been um, using certain types uh, of um, of the veterinary product, um, whilst waiting for for other products to come in, but they are, are they are they would be using it in a diluted form according to a certain formula that they would know, um, and it would be orally, not injected. You know, so um, so I don't really know about that, but I do know I don't know you know any of the details, but I do know that um, I have heard from doctors. Uh, that that has been the only option and that it has been working um in other words taking the <laughs> taking the injectable orally <laughs> yeah you certainly it's not um it's not ever injectable in humans yeah um as far as i know yeah yeah i mean uh, Merck actually did the original safety studies and um, they, in, in 2002, they published a paper which showed that it, it, uh, ivermectin was safe at, at um, 10 times the usual 12 milligram dose. They dosed up to 120 milligrams. Sure, that's still safe. So, uh, you know, you don't want, I mean, you know, also, I just have to say um, mm. my own position on, on taking medicine is that you don't need to take anything just for the sake of it obviously there are people who are high risk and so on and and that's they, they can discuss with their doctors but in my opinion um you know if you keep yourself healthy um so you eat healthily you uh, which includes no, not eating sugar sugar is yeah. absolutely um so you you know you don't drink too much mm. you preach it sister you get your you get your son and and you know you take your vitamins, supplements, mm. vitamin C, zinc, now, especially during these times. Um, I do not think uh, one needs to take um, prophylaxis um, unless you're exposed to somebody with COVID or unless you're a healthcare worker or, mm. you know, so I, I'm not taking anything. Uh, um, but if I was exposed, if I was working in hospital, yes, then I would. And um, and uh, and if I certainly if I if I got uh, COVID, I would want to take ivermectin. But um, I'm not at all suggesting that everybody should be taking ivermectin. Of I course. Think, same thing. What you've got to do is look after your immune system. 
that everybody should be taking care of their immune system, and you do that by um, having healthy, a uh, healthy lifestyle. Do think that people need to start taking responsibility for their health, mm. and they need aging uh, in 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 activities, and also uh, and also um, dialogue about mm. around. Yeah, you cannot outsource your healthcare to a government. You have to take personal responsibility. Uh, and I think if everybody took personal responsibility for their health, we wouldn't have, um, you know, we wouldn't have these issues of um, diseases associated with sugar intake, right? Um, uh, diabetes and uh, heart disease and all those things. Um, um, Tess, sorry, you keep saying that, like, if you get COVID, you take ivermectin, but COVID is a respiratory disease, very much like flu. Can ivermectin also work uh, um, for flu, for example? Well, I think that's the exciting thing about ivermectin. Now that we we know that it has this broad antiviral um, uh, activity, um, we can look at it for against the normal flu. We can look at it against um, also all sorts of diseases. I mean, hepatitis. We don't hear. Um, we've got people. The other the thing that I'm really interested in looking at um, is um, is ivermectin for long COVID because people with long COVID, there are many many people with long COVID now, and um, and there's nothing that they are given really that that I mean that helps substantially. You know, so I think um, we really need to look at these older repurposed drugs for for long COVID, um, starting with ivermectin. Well, look, at the moment, there's a major misinformation campaign against ivermectin. Mm. So, um, I have no idea, um, you know, uh, who's going to win. I would say that it has um, potential to be widely um, useful um, and, um, you know, and, and, and if it is, that would be wonderful because, mm. you know, because it is such a safe medicine. So um, it would be great if we could find something, especially since you know there's been this on increased microbial resistance and this concern about us, you know, antibiotics not working anymore, mm. and also um, you know we have um, this vaccine uh, viruses seem to be on the on the increase, and you know these flus seem to be getting worse and worse. So if we could find something that's really safe, cheap, and effective, and equitable, because other medicines available for everybody, um, it's, you know, um, uh, then, uh, and then, yeah, and that would be really Somebody, wonderful. Somebody's asking, how does it work? I mean, if it's an anti-parasite drug, how, what is it doing because we're dealing with a virus? Well, it has a number of modes of action, so um, it, it, um, it acts in a similar way, it would appear, to uh, in, in one of its modes of action, and that it to vaccine, and that it blocks the um, viral proteins from entering the nucleus. Um, so it it protects the immune, uh, it prevents the proteins from damaging the immune mm. response. Um, it also um, uh, affects viral replication by um, attaching or impairing the uh, enzymes associated with viral replication. So. Um, it has uh, uh, a number of different ways in, in uh, impairing um, the virus's action in the body. Um, and then it also has this anti-inflammatory effect by 
dampening down the cytokine reaction, which is the in inflammatory response to infection. So, which is why um, it seems to work um, early on in the disease really well, but it also works in severe disease. Because so, usually the first three days, three to four days, you've got um, the viral, um, uh, the, the virus sort of replicating and, and going mad, and mm -hmm. that and at that stage, and um, we have evidence from um, Andrew Hill's review that it clears the virus much quicker. But then in severe disease, you've got more, you've got less of the virus around now, but you've got all the effects of it with the inflammation and everything. And um, and uh, people who get it for severe disease also do uh, better than mm. if they. So it works at all stages of the disease, and I think the different mechanisms of action, um, uh, you know, um, were, uh, are shown in that way. Um, the other thing I wanted to say uh, about ivermectin, and uh, which is. Um, which is logical is because because it has all these different mechanisms of action it's likely to work against various strains and variants um, it's not going to be limited to a particular variant oh that's interesting yes because vaccines are very much limited to particular variants or strains yes oh that's fascinating how does how does that work well, it has its mechanism of action of stopping viral proteins. It's not okay. um, to a particular variant. So um, it makes sense that it would it would be able to um, act on on various strains. You you can um, find there are many many protocols um, mm. on, and you can um, you can look up you know there are studies from India. There's studies from. But you can also look on um, on the bird document. Um, there's mm. uh, there's a, a, a table with all the different protocols that are used around the world. Yeah, and that's on your website. I actually saw it. <laughs> he wants to know how does weed respond to inflammatory <laughs> inflammatory responses like like COVID or flu. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah, fear is very bad for health as well. I can just point that out. And so uh, I think over the last year, people's mm. health was uh, even even worse than before. So now there's no better time than now to actually say enough is enough and I'm going to actually take care of myself and take responsibility for my own health and start engaging in... Um, Acquiring the information and awareness, uh, you know, around uh, what is good for me. Um, what would you want people to know, or to, or to think about, or to um, do going forward with regards to ivermectin? Okay, I'd want them to know that it works. I would want them to uh, realize they must. Uh, time has come to start questioning. your authorities who are cherry-picking the evidence to suit a narrative not to recommend ivermectin and um, uh, yeah um, I've already said take care of your own health mm. um, and uh, you know and and get a life you know yeah <laughs> get a life 
you've got to you've got to start living really it's um you can't let um you let covid take your life from you you've got to start um start taking it back you've got a crystal ball in front of you what do you see with regards to ivermectin going forward I think um, the authorities are not going to recommend it. So it's yeah, it's up to the people to demand it. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I really, really appreciate it. It's a great conversation, um, and I hope that we're going to get lots more people interested in in pushing back um, for all the right reasons. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Jim. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.